a woman of boundless courage and optimism. After her business took off, True donned suits and lectured to women's groups on the benediction of hard work as a salve for grief, on her unwavering vow to cast off the temptations, to cling to friends, or succumb to self-pity. From some magazine article, she had borrowed the phrase, When the going gets tough, take more risks. The business started with nothing but her own strong will, her experience at her previous job, and a business plan crafted from nightly study of reference books at the library while Guy played with his toy ambulance at her feet, had been the object lesson, the proof of her plum pudding. But this heroic self, stalwart at cheering others even through her own bereavement, has begun to go after Glay. True is changing. She fears she is becoming both a carp and a sap. She hopes no one else has noticed. Tonight is True's birthday, her 43rd. She is piloting her Volvo through what the radio announcer has called the worst nor'easter anyone can remember. She is driving to her birthday party at a new restaurant far out in Truro. Isabel Merton, once True's nanny and now an office assistant, who still lives with True in exchange for some child care chores, is riding shotgun. Guess what Kathleen did tonight? She came around behind me and pulled my sweater down over my rear. She said, You're getting a little shelf there, dear. Nice of her, huh? Oh, True, how can you be surprised by anything your mother does? I know, but I still am. Do you think when you're 60-whatever, you'll still get a kick out of being skinnier than your daughter? True, you know what they say. If it's not one thing, it's your mother, Isabel says. At least you have a mother, one who cares more about you than about her Harley. But True thinks she sometimes wishes Kathleen were as distant, at least geographically, as Isabel's motorcycle mama. Not only does Kathleen work with True, but she lives in a guest cottage on True's property. She breezes in and out of True's own house at will. True sometimes wonders how privacy as distinct from solitariness, might feel. Give her a little credit, Isabel urges. Kathleen really doesn't interfere much, and she's a rock in other ways. For Guy, at work. True sighs, I know, I know. Suddenly there is the sign. That one place. The parking lot is jammed. For an instant, True suspects her friends of foisting a surprise party on her. As soon as they are inside, True realized she has mislaid the significance of this day to other people. The tables are lit with red tapers because it is Valentine's Day. For people with romantic lives, it is a night to make new vows or to recall old ones. Not a holiday cherished by widows, and a special irritant to a widow whose mother has named her in honor of it. It has taken True Dickinson decades to come to terms with her name. She blames her mother for this. A librarian most of her life, Kathleen tended to take on literary errors. True does not use her middle name, Hart, a family name which, combined with the first, only sounds more ludicrous. Now she sees her best friends waving from the bar. They are Franny Van Neville, True's college roommate, who'd met her husband visiting True one summer on the Cape, and Rudy, 
the assistant she'd stolen from Elizabeth's heroines, the toy company they still refer to as the doll cannery. Everyone else in the place is seated two by two, some with fingers entwined across the marble tops. Franny and Rudy wrap her in a three-way hug with Isabel. Rudy gives her a kiss on each cheek. Long time no see, boss, he says tenderly. Happy, happy, baby. You don't look so happy. I'm happy, says True. I'm just... She gestures around her. It's just... Look at everyone else in this room. You guys are to be commended for giving up the romantic dinner you should be having with your significant others for my not very significant... De nada, Rudy says. Keith had to work anyhow. Steve's got a bottle of Cristal for later, Franny chimes in. And I got chocolates from the kids for breakfast. Oh, well, in that case, True sighs, then grins. I feel much better about being the only person in this room who's not only single, but too old to die young. That kind of talk does not become you, True, Isabel points out, and we agreed not to go to age land tonight. You don't have to go to age land for 20 years, True pleads. Issa, be real. This whole room reeks of passion and devotion, and practically every person in it is younger and thinner than I am. That's not self-pity, it's clear vision. Isabel replies, and I'm sure they're all saying to each other, isn't that true Dickinson, the one who started that fabulous business? who just got her picture in Fortune as one to watch, who bought that gorgeous place near the lighthouse, who has a darling, talented son and a face like Catherine Deneuve, but is much fatter and older than she appears. Issa tosses back her auburn hair. I, however, will share your bereftitude, she says, since I am once again an archaeological widow. True cannot help laughing. Isabel's beau is a professor at Lowell College, where Isabel has been earning a degree for eight years. She'd answered True's ad for a sitter on the second day of her first term and has since become ever so much more to True. I know a joke, Franny says. How do you get an old lady to say fuck? It's three old ladies, Issa explains. How do you get three old ladies to say fuck? Fuck, True thinks. Fuck. I say it every day when some order goes haywire. But I did it last, what, 18 months ago? 18 months since she'd broken up with Evan. Get a fourth one to say bingo, Franny concludes triumphantly, and though True chuckles along, she thinks, pretty soon I'll be looking forward to bingo in the gym every Friday night except in Lent, driving over with my mother and Mrs. Harkness and Mrs. Coffin. I'll have spent the afternoon making sure my ink markers haven't run dry and counting up the discs, in my string bag, to be certain I won't run short in the coverall. I'll have volunteered that week at the Episcopal resale shop. I'll have written a letter to Guy at college, reminding him to wash his boxers and socks in hot, because hot disinfects. Should I get a bottle of wine? Rudy asks. Okay, true size. I'll have a glass or two. Isabel suggests they play darts. I don't want to, Franny complains. Darts are for drunks. But darts is the only game at which True can beat Franny, who is casually, comfortably athletic. Yep, I've decided. Let's play darts. It's my birthday and I get to pick the games. But before they do, the three pull out from under the table True's gift. And when she opens it, she is astounded.
It is a true doll. It wears blue jeans, has a sweep of blonde hair tucked behind one ear, and carries in one hand a teeny million-dollar bill, and in the other a basket of teeny teddy bears and baby bottles, a reference to True's company. Rudy has drawn the card. It says, You're our heroine. You guys, True begins, genuinely moved. How did you... Well, we didn't make the doll, Rudy says. Elizabeth let us have a model. She was sort of in on this, True. But all the rest of it, True breathes, cradling the doll, admiring its detail. Her eyes spill over. Don't get all weepy, Rudy remonstrates. Enough slobbering. Let's play. They all buy their three darts for a dollar at the bar, and each deposits five dollars in a clean plastic cup. We'll have to let True win, Franny gripes. It's her birthday. No, play as if your life depended on it, True says. I'll win anyhow. Let's play cricket. Franny nails the first round, easily. Rudy and True tie in the second round, so they have to tack on a fourth, a medal round, to be fair. I'm going to be serious now, True warns everyone. First, she glides up to the bar to get another glass of wine. On impulse, True buys a whole bottle of Merlot and catches a glimpse of herself in the mirror. Her buttermilk hair is wavy and her complexion shimmers with a rosy ribbon of color along each cheekbone, gift of heat and wine. As she whirls away with the bottle, a man's voice, a voice that is soft but somehow carries under the conversation, says, I'll take you on. She cannot see the person who spoke. He's between the bar and the wall, in the gap where...